Here you go, let's sing Grace, what have you done? Hey. Grace, what have you done? Murdered for me on that cross Accused in absence of wrong My sin washed away in your Let's sing too much Too much to make sense of it all And I know that your love breaks my fall Here we go The scandal of grace future all because of you we find salvation and courage in times of fear we thank you Jesus we're here this morning to honor you to worship you serve you to give you honor and glory and at the same time you're here to meet with us to lift burdens to heal to open our eyes and our hearts to your presence so we just say come Jesus we love you. 
In your name we pray, amen. Amen, you guys can have a seat. I know there's people still coming in, so maybe uh, move, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I I'll, let, I'll let you make the call on that one. I think there's plenty of seats available at this yeah. point, you know. Just saying, 11 might be a little packed, or maybe Bedside Baptist is full this morning. We'll see. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you guys, good morning. It's good to see you. Good to be here. I know we were all stocking up for water, thinking the world was going to end with ice yesterday. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. I love weather in Michigan, uh, and weather reporting in Michigan even more. So uh, for the last few weeks, we've been talking a little bit about this uh, house church orientation that's coming up, and so uh, I'm going to ask Tony and uh, Jen Schmid to come up here. They're going to share a story about what God's done in their life through house church while they're doing that, I just, um, I have to always take that opportunity to highlight some of the communications that are just a part of our rhythms here at Crossroads, this newsletter and the email. Just want to keep encouraging you to get connected with that because you'll be connected to everything that God's doing. So, you go, Tony. Awesome. Thank you. I'm going to start. Okay. <laughs> Morning. How's everybody? Um, so, Tony and I moved here from Indianapolis about four years ago. We started coming to Crossroads pretty soon after we moved here, and um, we found it really easy to just come in and out the door on a Sunday, and um, just because we have three little kids, we have really demanding work and home schedules right now, and so it was easy to just kind of come in and come out and just uh, wave hi to the people we knew. and. Um, but we decided to start a house church to just kind of be in more intentional community. Um, and we can be homebodies, so we like our free nights. And so it wasn't something that was super comfortable at first. And to be honest, we'd been in house churches before that um, it didn't work out. And so this was just something we were like, okay, is this, is this something we really want to jump into? Do we really want to give a free night of our week to this? And so, but... Um, yeah, for the last two years, uh, if we hadn't started this house church, I don't think, I think we would have missed out on something really great. And so Tony's going to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, to echo everything that she said, but I mean, just think, we, there's, there's 10 kids in our house church, kids under, the, little ones, yeah, not, you know, adults. Um, so I think that can definitely, you know, we bring that into the picture. So it makes you question, our, you know, is this really what we should be doing? But, you know, throw the 10 kids in there. Um, you know, in the evening time, in the winter, it's dark by 4.30. Um, they're wanting to go to bed, but no, we're, we're, we're plowing through. We're, we're really learning, kind of um, diving into scripture and God's word, just really figuring out how we can apply that to, you know, our lives as a, as a family, also as a, as a small group, but even as, a, as, as part of a, a larger church body. Um, but through, you know, We've welcomed three babies, uh, job changes, uh, sickness in families, death in families, marriage struggles. It's just been a, a really neat thing these past few years to just get to know um, like-minded, ministry-minded people um, and share life with them. So it, it's been great, just very unique opportunities, good conversations, and it's been two years, and you know, it feels like sometimes we've only been meeting for two weeks, sometimes it feels like we've been meeting for, for five years. So. Um, it, it's very cool. It's a very awesome experience, I think, for us and also for our kids to be able to kind of see that happening around us as well. So, 
Yeah, so next week, <laughs> we're having a house church orientation upstairs, um, and we would love it. You don't have, you're not signing your name in blood to be in a house church, <laughs> so just come and check it out if you're interested, if you feel kind of led, like you want to get more plugged in here, you want to feel like you know people on a Sunday morning. I think there's something really beautiful about walking in and seeing people that really know you in church and really know what's going on in your life and how to pray for you and all those things, so yeah, so just check it out. If you feel like you've just been coming in and out, that would be a great way to get plugged in. Awesome. Thanks, Jen. Thank you, guys. All right. And uh, we're going to keep on this theme we've had so far this year, too, just kind of introducing you to the staff team that serves you guys every day of the week. So I'm going to ask the operations team to come up, and I'm going to fulfill one of my official announcement pastor duties here for a second. Um, so a few things. I mentioned last week this recovery ministry that God's bubbling up. And so there was a meeting this past Tuesday. It was a great start. And that group is just going to be praying for the next six weeks. So if you're interested in kind of getting into that stream of that team of people, you can either get a hold of me or email Judy Black per the screen. Short-term mission trips. This is really just a quick blip FYI. Uh, I already talked to somebody this morning who said they prayed recently and they were thinking about maybe um, doing a short-term missions trip. So maybe this is the Holy Spirit working, putting these on the screen for you this morning. So uh, think about those this week. And then finally, um, again, January is kind of that kickoff month. It's really cool. I want to draw your attention in the, in the newsletter to Beloved, January 14th. It's the women's kickoff for this part of the season. And I just want to encourage all the ladies here to invest in community at Crossroads. It's been amazing to see in, in my years that God's had me here, uh, how God continues to work through uh, the women of our church and women's ministry uh, to fulfill the mission that he has for us of renewing the city and impacting the world. So, okay, let me introduce you to this group. Most of you know me. My name is Steve Van Poulen. God's had our family here for... Um, Let's see, since 2008, God's had us a part of Crossroads. I've been married for 22 years. My wife, Susie, I have two daughters, Liza and Lola. And um, I, probably the best way to talk about what God allows me to do around here, uh, uh, Rod and I often joke with each other about he's kind of, uh, God uses him to, to kind of oversee the organic aspects of Crossroads and God uses uh, me and my role to oversee the organizational aspects of Crossroads and so we talk a lot about that team, and it ends up being a big joke in a lot of our elder meetings and stuff. So anyways, that's a little bit of me, and I'm going to introduce you now to Judy Black. Hi, I'm Judy Black. And let's not ignore this. Hi. Here. Let's make sure. And um, part of my role here is to simply answer the phone. So if you call the church, it's my voice you will hear, and I'll get to know you over the phone as well as uh, greet you if you come in the office. So if you walk through the office doors upstairs, I'm the first desk you'll see. So if you need anything, ask me. I'll get you coffee, tea. I think we have Diet Coke. <laughs> and um, I, as well as I get to uh, plan events here with amazing volunteer teams like the cookout. And um, I count it a privilege and joy, too, to serve the staff, assist Rod and Steve and the elder board. My husband, Chris Black, over there, 
and I have been here for close to four years, and we just count it a joy and privilege to be a part of this Crossroads family. So hi, I'm Linda Rorsma, and I get to do all things numbers here. So I get to do the bookkeeping and record keeping, kind of the things that are weekly, monthly, and year end. And we really value being timely, orderly, efficient, and just having good processes so that we get along good here and work in a good working relationship for those details. So I like to just say to you, though, the body of Christ, every one of you that's here today, is thank you for being so generous that we have a very generous giving church. Your tithing and heart of obedience is beautiful. And we get to celebrate a year of abundance here at the end of 2019. So I can also say from the inside out that our leadership as well has a heart of giving and sharing and the way that they come alongside our family here, our neighborhood, our city, and the nations in support and encouragement and linking arms tangibly, giving, and in a relationship so that no one walks alone in a kind of a way ministry-related and like-mindedness is beautiful as well. So we celebrate God's work. You give, they in their wisdom disperse it out in a wise way, and it's really beautiful to share. So we can celebrate that together today. Good morning, my name is... Good morning, my name is Glory Goodrich, and I have the privilege of serving as the benefits manager here at Crossroads. And I see my role really as serving the staff so that they can serve the body, which I love. It brings me joy anytime I can resource the staff and their families to make their lives easier um, so that they can serve you guys. Um, one of the things that has been a huge blessing to me being part of the staff is just to see how the leadership and elders at Crossroads live with such grace and generosity. Anytime they can bless the staff with generosity, they choose that route. And I have learned a lot since my time here about living out of abundance and not scarcity. And I'm just so thankful to be part of this team. So thank you. Hi, my name's Bill Boynton. I am part of the facilities team. We, uh, we keep things running. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> Hi, my name is Mark Gottschall, and I am the facility lead, and I get to work with uh, Mike and Bill. Um, my wife and I started attending Crossroads about 10 years ago. Um, we have uh, three adult children, two grandchildren, um, and I'm also a two-time cancer survivor. Uh, about five years ago, um, God uh, kind of rocked my world, and uh, my job in, in the, uh, the world uh, was eliminated after working 22 years uh, in that position. And at that time, Crossroads graciously offered to uh, have me come on temporarily. Um, and you can see where I'm at after temporary. <laughs> yeah, it sucked me right in. <clears throat> My role is really behind the scenes, along with what Bill said and, and with Mike. Um, we are here to serve you, to serve the staff, um, and to serve other building users uh, in a way that we hope leaves you a feeling uh, being cared for, appreciated, uh, valued, and uh, wanting to come back. Um, I work side by side, as I said, with Bill and Mike. Um, 
doing, helping with some maintenance, cleaning, setup, tear down, wow. you name it, we do it. Um, and I've been asked many times, how often is this building used? And what I can say is it's used all the time. Uh, six days a week, seven days a week, night and day, it's constantly used. So we're, we're a busy, busy team. Um, I also serve as a point of contact for the, uh, the safety team. Um, and, um, and deal with the lost and found items. <laughs> so at this point, I'm going to take a little bit more than my time and ask one favor of all of you. Sometime today, open up your Bible, and please make sure you have your name and a phone number or email in it so that when you leave it here, we know who to get it to instead of having stacks of Bibles around that we eventually have to give away because we don't know who they belong to. Um, if you're interested in volunteering on, this, on the facility team, because we can always use volunteers to help, or on the safety team, uh, please give the church office a call or pick up the uh, card at the Connection Center that has our phone numbers on it. Um, thank you, and have a great day. My name is Mike Bolthouse. Um, I'm married to a lovely redhead for uh, 40 years this April. And uh, I am, of course, on the I'm the facility technician, technically, you might say. And uh, I would say a facility technician does, the most important thing a facility technician does is make sure you're not sitting on the floor. Um, it, we, we do, uh, people ask me, how many times do we move these chairs? I, I'm thinking, how many times don't we move these chairs? Uh, it's a constant thing. But he already pretty much went over everything else that we did. I really enjoy the job. It's nice serving you. Good morning, and I am Jan Georginas. I began attending Crossroads 15 years ago, and no, that wasn't the beginning. It was six months earlier was the beginning of Crossroads. About 13 years ago, I was given the blessing of being asked to help in the office. I was eventually given the job of making sermon CDs and given the title of CD Administrative Partner. <laughs> which simply means I am in charge of the CD ministry. <laughs> and I bet some of you do not know that CD co copies of al almost all sermons are made. The, there are CDs in the Connection Center of the last four sermons on, uh, that we've had here at church. And... Uh, if you want to, if you're, you're not a tech person like me, you can pick up a CD and listen to the sermon again over and over. So um, uh, if you want a copy of the CDs, uh, of a certain CD that you think um, you'd like to pass on to somebody, just uh, look me up in the church uh, staff directory and uh, email me and I will get you a copy of that sermon. So. Hi everyone, um, I'm the last one, I promise. Um, my name is Lauren Pinner and I'm commonly mistaken for Bethany Hicks. We're not the same person. Um, I am the communications director here and 
We're a big church. There's a lot of things going on, serving opportunities, connecting opportunities, ways to make this big church feel smaller. And my job is basically just to communicate that to all of you. So whether it's through the website, through social media, through the newsletters that you guys have under your seats. Um, uh, we also have an email update that's sent out every week. I'm in charge of all those communications avenues. Um, another part of my role is to tell the stories of the ways that God is moving within this church family. So if you have a story of a way that God has been faithful to you in this season, or if you know of a ministry that's doing incredible work here in this city um, that we partner with, We'd love to hear that story. So if you want to email me, um, let's sit down and talk about your story, figure out how to tell it to the rest of our family. Um, like a few people have mentioned, if you want to contact someone on staff, there's this handy connection card in the Connection Center that has all the staff contact information on it. You can also find it on the website. Um, so yeah, feel free to get in touch with us. If you guys want to stand up and say hi to someone around you, get to know someone, we'll be back in a few minutes. All right, here we go. Let all praise be a welcome. Let all songs be a sign. We are here for you. We are. Yeah, we are here for you. Let your breath come from heaven. Let your breath.
desperate for you, Lord. Ushers, come down. We're going to receive an offering.
clinging to what other people say about me, what other people want from me or think of me. Choosing again today to hear your, your words over me, Lord. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we could be called sons and daughters of his. Thank you, Lord. We pray for that revelation to come fresh to us again today because we've heard it a thousand times, but it's, it's the most true thing about us, Lord, that you're our Father, that you love us, you gave your life for us. You gave your life to make us yours, Lord. So we just come back to that reality today. We pray that through the Shema this morning, God, you would show us how to live our whole lives devoted to you. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Morning, everybody. Good to see everybody. For, for a while there, the, the weatherman had me wondering if we were gonna be here today, and then I thought, you know, the weatherman's usually wrong. So here we are. Good to see everybody. Everybody doing all right? Good. As uh, Will ended his prayer, um, gave us a hint of where we're going this morning. Um, this month we are looking at what historically is called the Shema. Shema in Hebrew is the word for hear. Um, and because Hebrew is a poor language, which means it has about a tenth of the words that we have in English. It means that each word is rich in meaning. And so Shema not only means hear, but it also means to obey. Um, so as we looked at last week, this, this is near and dear to the Jews. Uh, this, this goes all the way back even well before the time of Jesus where Every devout, devout Jew begins their day, almost the first thing they do when they wake up, and they end their day, almost the last thing they do before they go to bed, is they declare aloud the Shema. And the Shema is, is, is more than a prayer to them. It is the commitment of their heart. It is what they seek to live each moment of each day because they believe that as they live out Shema, the kingdom of heaven breaks in and breaks out of their life. And what is Shema? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And as we live that, they believe that the king, kingdom of heaven breaks out. This is why some Jewish groups, even when they say the Shema, both morning and night, they have their little pinky out like this uh, because the pinky represents the finger of God. And the finger of God represents the divine power of God. Uh, Psalm 8 says the works of your fingers uh, literally created the moon and the stars. Uh, there's that place in Exodus when God is unleashing the plagues upon Egypt and, and believe it or not, if you read, it, read the story closely, the Pharaoh's magicians can actually duplicate the plagues until they come to about the fifth plague. They can no longer duplicate 
what God is doing, so they have to come to Pharaoh and say to him, Pharaoh, we can't do this one. This is the finger of God. And Jesus then, in the New Testament, picks up on this. He says, if I drive out demons, that is done by the finger of God. And when the finger of God is unleashed, you know that the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. And so it's this idea that when we say Shema and live Shema, the kingdom of heaven breaks out. It explodes. And so last week we looked at the part of Shema where it says, love the Lord your God with all your soul or all your heart. This week we're going to look at what it means, the next part, to love God with all of our soul. I'm not going to have you raise your hand right now. Last week I did call you to read Deuteronomy. I love it when already some person has already said, wow, Deuteronomy, man, that is an interesting, challenging book. That tells me that we've stepped into that. Um, if you stepped into that, reading the first eight chapters of Deuteronomy, uh, you have a context in which the Shema is given. Um, the context is that God's people have been in desert for 40 years, waiting, 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 and now God finally says, it's time to enter. It's time for you to go into that land that I'm giving you, the promised land. And as we said last week, the promised land is more than a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Promised land is Israel finally entering its call. It's called to be this chosen people, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, who are to declare to the world the praises of God who brought them out of darkness into his wonderful light. And that still is our promised land. And we all, when God calls us out of darkness, he also calls us into something, into a promised land. And that promised land, whatever it is, is your call. Living out that call in terms of who you are, what God made you to be, all the things that God has entrusted to you for you to live out the kingdom of heaven. So let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. <laughs> I can't tell you anymore what page it's on, even though it looks like I have a Bible just like yours, except I have the large letter edition. <laughs> Hey, I'm getting older, okay? So let's stand for the reading of God's word, Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands. What are the commands? What's in Deuteronomy 5? Anybody know? Ten commandments. So these are the commands, the decrees and the laws the Lord your God has directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees, his commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy life to the full. Notice how life and obedience are connected. Shema Israel, be careful to obey 
so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of our fathers, promised you. Shema Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one, or the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you drive in your cars, when you go to work, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your forehands. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Because when the Lord brings you into the land, he swore your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And to not forget, we have to hear Shema, O Israel. And take a seat. To this day, devout Jews still do all of these things. Uh, they take this Shema and they put it in a little box and they attach it to their door like this. So every door of a Jewish home, uh, you can see that little box, and in that box is the Shema. Uh, they also take literally of binding this to your forehead and wrapping it around your arms. So when you go to synagogue, this is what you see. You see this man with a box on his head. That's called a phylactery. This is also talked about by Jesus himself. So Jesus himself did this. It was going on already in the, in the, in the uh, first century. In that box is Shema. They're binding it to their head, and around their arms, <laughs> they're wrapping it, the Shema. And, and, and you see this, fathers with their, with their kids, uh, this practice of we are going to take Shema and it's not only something that we're gonna recite in the morning and say before we go to bed at night, but we're gonna put it on our gates of our homes. We're gonna put it on our foreheads. We're gonna wrap it around our arms. How serious do we take God? How diligent, how intent, how intense is our desire to be like him? I mean, that first declaration of Shema, the Lord is God, the Lord alone, and we, and we learned last week that, that this means that God is the Lord. Not money, sex, power, Boyfriend, girlfriend, sport, beauty. Well, the Lord is God, the Lord alone. 
And how do we live out that, that lordship in every fabric of our life? Shema. We love him with everything. Every moment of every day, we love God with everything we have. So let's look at this. What does it mean to love God with all our soul? Um, let's start with this word, soul. This thing took me about 20 hours alone just to study this week um, because God had to deconstruct a lot of my own thinking. Um, I think he's going to deconstruct some of your thinking on, on, on this word, soul, uh, because our understanding of soul and the Bible's understanding of soul uh, couldn't be more different. So just let me ask the question. What is our soul? You see, probably most of us would say, well, our soul is that part of us that is immaterial, that's unseen. It's the innermost part of our being. It's, it, it's that part of us that is most us because it's the part of us that is immortal and will live forever. I'll try to say this as kindly as I can, but this is such an unbiblical understanding of soul. I mean, the, the biblical understanding of soul is almost the opposite of this. See, our definition of soul is really not that biblical. It's actually Greek. It's the Greek philosophers, namely Plato, who gave us this definition of soul um, which comes from their whole conception of what a human being is and what a human being consists of, which also matches their conception of the world. Now, we don't have to beat ourselves up this morning because platonic dualism, as it's often called in the academy, um, is the dominant worldview of the Western world and has been going all the way back to the Greeks. Even my philosophy professors said everything is a footnote back to Plato. And see, then what Christian theologians have done throughout the centuries, going already back to the second and third century, is they have extracted the Bible out of its Hebraic roots and they've forced it to conform and to fit with what the Greek philosophers have said. So here's what Plato taught. That the world essentially consisted of two parts. That's why we have this fancy word, platonic dualism. One part is the part of the world that we can see. It's the physical, material world. The other part of the, of, of the world is the world that we can't see. It's, it's the spiritual world. So Plato taught that a good God created the unseen spiritual world and a demiurge or a Satan or demon created the physical material world. And because a good God created the unseen spiritual world, that part of the world, of course, is good, eternal, and immortal. And because a demon or an, an evil entity created the physical material world, that part of the world is bad and evil and mortal. Now, when it comes to a human, like what we are as, as human beings, what we consist of, he applied these two parts. He says we're one part soul, 
which is the unseen spiritual you, and then we're one part body, which is the physical you. And Plato's the first to have popularized this idea of separating the soul, the, the spiritual unseen part of us from the physical part of us from the body. And he's also the one who said, your soul is your good you. It's your real you. And it's the part of you that will exist forever. But that you is trapped in that bad part of you, your physical body. So salvation to Plato, because he understood the body as the enemy to the soul, or the, the soul is entombed in the body, um, it's in prison in, in the body. Salvation then is the soul being set free from the body, escaping the body for a disembodied place called heaven. And sadly, this is how most Christians think. Not just about what we are, but even about salvation, even about the future, about heaven. And you say, well, what's the big deal about thinking this way? Well, one, it's, it, it's very unbiblical. Um, but it also has implications because take the two buckets, the material and the spiritual. Ask yourself what you put in those buckets. I mean, we have categories today, like secular and sacred. I'll just throw some, some things out right now. Going to church. Is that spiritual? What about going to work? You know, we say that's material. So going to church is somehow in our minds better than going to work. <laughs> when God says work in Hebrew is avodah, which is the same word for worship, your highest expression of worship is your work. Now that doesn't make going to church unimportant. Even professions, people who have secular jobs, people who have spiritual jobs. And we think some professions are more spiritual. Some professions are more secular. How about saving a soul versus restoring a neighborhood? God would say to both of those things, Yes! But when we come up with these buckets, we start to think soul is more important than Isaiah 58 or Isaiah 61 where God says, I'm going to repair age-old foundations and cities. How about discipleship? How we do it, how we see it. So much of discipleship today is about escaping the world to do spiritual things. When Jesus came to the world, 
entered the world and then called people to follow him as he went into the world, not away from it. We even have words like spirituality. I mean, being spiritual is doing spirituality. (laughs) Fasting, spiritual, feasting, material. So fasting's better than feasting, right? Well, why does God, in the Old Testament, instruct one day in the year to fast and about 100 days to feast? Well, too many people just walk out of me. Just stay with me, okay? Um, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're, you're thinking, wait, what about when Paul talks about this war that's between the flesh and the spirit? Well, let's just talk a moment about that word flesh because when we think flesh, we're starting to think the human body. But that word flesh in the Greek is the word sarks. Sarks is rarely used as body because the Greeks have another word for body, soma. Soma is the physical body. Sarks is your selfish self. That's the war. It's not the war on your physical you. It's the war on the selfish you. And see, the Bible sees the world in a much more holistic way. And when it comes to what we are as as beings, our our, our person, and what we're comprised of, it recognizes, yep, there's some material and some immaterial aspects to our being, to ourself. But, But again, it sees all of that in a more holistic way. And it doesn't teach this separation between body and soul the way the Greeks do. And even when it flirts with those separations, it doesn't see the the unseen spiritual you as better than the physical you. The Bible says God made all of you, both spiritual and physical. And the Bible teaches that all of it is infected with the curse. And that God wants to repair all of it because he made all of it. And so salvation is not just God saving our soul, but it's redeeming all of us, including our bodies for a renewed earth. And it's not then us just going up to heaven, it's actually heaven coming down to earth like a bride to marry earth, to reconcile God to humanity and to restore all of creation to its original state. And I can't believe I didn't hear an amen to that. Because that, I mean, that's just an awesome thought that ought to get all of us out of bed in the morning. And then for those of us who are like Christ, the text says that when we behold him, we will be like him. We'll be like him. But now I've diverted just a little too much. Let's get back to loving God with all our soul. The word for soul in Deuteronomy 6, is the Hebrew word nefesh. It says uvakol nafshaka, nefesh. Nefesh is an extremely common word in the Old Testament. It occurs over 700 times. Now listen to this. Less than 10% of the time nefesh is used. Only 10% of that time is it translated as soul. 
That means over 90% of the time, nefesh means something other than the soul. Oftentimes, nefesh gets translated as life. Sometimes it gets translated as breath. Sometimes it gets translated as self or person. Um, Oftentimes, it's translated as creature. Sometimes it's even translated uh, heart, mind, appetite, desire. So that alone, I think you can feel the complexity of this word. Now, maybe the best place for us to go to understand this word is the first usage of nefesh in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, um, I have this on PowerPoint. God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Literally, creature there is nefesh. Keep going. And God created the great creatures of the sea and every nefesh, which we translate living thing, with which the water teems. Keep going. And God said, let the land produce nefesh, which we've translated living creatures according to their kinds, and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has nefesh in it. And we translate nefesh there, the breath of life. A lot of things to notice, first of all, the animals have nefesh. In fact, literally, the animals are nefesh. And so the most basic meaning of nefesh from these verses is nefesh is a living, breathing creature. Okay, now let's go to the next creation account in the next chapter, Genesis 2. The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became nefesh. I want you to consider something, that up until this point in creation, God is depicted as this cosmic all-powerful being who literally is turning the chaos into this awesome, harmonious, glorious universe to the power of his speech. He speaks, and it becomes something good and beautiful. But now God comes close. And he's depicted almost like us, where his hands literally go into what's called the Adamah, the dirt. And he shapes the Adamah into a perfect but smaller replica of himself, like a potter with clay. God forms with his hands something that resembles himself, but a smaller version. And he completes it by breathing. Nashima, his ruach, his spirit, into the Adama, and the Adama at that moment becomes Nefesh, a living, breathing creature. 
And this is why throughout the Bible, nefesh is strongly connected to breath, because think for a moment what we would be without breath. (laughs) And this is how we are like the animals, like the animals, we breathe every second of every day, because without breath, there is no bodily life, and without a body, there is no breath. And so the uniting of breath and body, you could say, is nefesh. And so nefesh speaks to our creaturely, creatureliness. It, it, it's all that we are as living, breathing beings. And so nefesh is our, our physical self that we can see, that we can touch but it's also the unseen self with with all of its appetites and desires and passions that that come out of our creatureliness. Uh, Another way you could put this is is nefesh is this life force that's within us. It's our vitality. And here's what we have to remember because the first four times nefesh is used in the Bible is about the animals. Nefesh is actually how we are like the animals. We're living, breathing creatures with appetites, desires, and survival needs. So then the question becomes, how are we unlike the animals? Well, first, we've been made, we're made like God. God made us according to his kind. The animals are, are, are nefesh, but they're, but they're not godlike. We are godlike. But more importantly, our nefesh was giving something special. From within God himself, God breathed his ruach into us. And so we are more than just nefesh that breathes air. We were made to breathe the breath of God. Do you know that right now? That we were made like God and that we were made to live and breathe God so that we could reflect God into all creation. And what happens when a human being doesn't live and breathe God? Well, that's the tragedy of the garden. Adam and Eve rejected God. They stopped living for God. They stopped loving God. And this enormous godlike potential that was within them became very fleshly. The self gets turned in on itself, causing Adam and Eve to become a lot less like God and a lot more like the animals. And here's the catastrophe of all this. Sin is organic, which means we right now are infected with Adam's disease. Adam was our head. So when he lost the ruach, the breath of God, we all did. 
We all became nefesh, devoid of the ruach, and therefore a lot more like the animals and a lot less like God. This is why you have Paul saying things like this in Philippians 3, 18 and 19. He says, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. That's what I say about my dog every day. His God is his stomach. I love the dog. Um, Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship, but Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And, And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how Paul starts the whole book of Romans. By talking about what we've become as human beings. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, empty, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be so wise and smart, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Humanity is a lot less like God, more like the animals in terms of our nefesh and our appetites and our desires, and our passions. And see, what sin did is it created this new normal, which means we right now can't even envision what Adam and Eve originally were. We are a far cry from what God made Adam and Eve to be, because today we are a nefesh with no ruach, almost something zombie-like, a walking dead, a shell of what God created in the garden. This week, a um, friend sent me something. He said, Rod, you gotta read this. And I did. It was written by a highly intelligent, left-leaning, French, atheist agnostic. on pornography. And he started the whole thing off and he said, I can't believe what I am going to say because it's going to sound puritanical and religious. But he laid out in scientific terms how pornography is rewiring the human mind. It's not just this most addictive thing, but it's changing a whole generation of men and how they think and how they view women. And this is just the tip of the iceberg of what he writes. 
And he talks about this addiction that every man has before they even look at it. But once they start looking at it, what it does to them, how it reprograms their brains, and all the effects that that has and where it leads. Because it says the brain has a drug and the body gets addicted to that drug called dopamine. And, and he said pornography more than anything else produces that drug in the brain. And he said like any drug, it wears off. So you need more and more and more of it to sustain the high. And he said, then all of the things that we have at our disposal since 2006 is what he dates it. In terms of all the screens that we have and look at all day and how accessible this is. He said, they're just like advertisers, these porn sites. They know what you want and they know how to give you what you want, but they push the envelope knowing that that's to what you want. And so it goes to places that are almost unthinkable. We live in a new normal. And we're not just talking about sexual addiction and, and, and brain alteration and, and this warped thinking about women, but think about all the... the, the the things that, that it's left behind from divorce, abuse, rape, trafficking, pedophilia, abortion, orphans. Or think about the new normal in all our creaturely appetites today. Food, drink, comfort, money, power, significance, the need to be known, the need to be loved. And in light of all of these appetites and desires and passions, look at what the human has become. So you ask, what's the alternative? Loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. This is why God says, love me with all of your nefesh. Love me with your every breath. Love me with your body. Love me with its passions and desires and appetites. Love me with all your days. Love me with the totality of your being. Love me with every moment you get to breathe. Do we? Do we love God? The JPS commentary which in my, in my opinion is the best Jewish commentary. And I go there uh, because this part of the Bible is one written in their language and they've been studying passages like this a lot longer than we have and they don't go all Plato and Greek in looking at it. Um, this is what the JPS commentary says on loving God with all of our soul. It means to love God with our very life, it's to love God with all of our human vitality, it's to love God even at the cost of our life, because we love God more than our very life. 
Now, one of the most revered rabbis in Jewish history is a rabbi called Akiva. Akiva lived 100 years after Jesus, and he lived at a time when Rome unleashed a severe persecution upon the Jews. In fact, Rome executed anyone who was seen to be reading the Torah, which is our Old Testament, in public. Now, Akiva um, grew up actually in poverty, and so much of his adult life was just a poor shepherd until one day he saw these drops of water just dripping on this huge stone, drip, 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 and where those drops were falling, he saw this, this large hole in the stone where the water fell, and he thought to himself, wow, what incredible power one little drip of water has. And then in that moment, God convicted him, yes, that's what one drop of Torah, of living water, of my word, does to a heart of stone. Drip, drip, drip. And so he committed his whole life to Torah, every day to have Torah doing this drip, drip, drip on his heart of stone. And he, he did this in public. Uh, we know that he had thousands of disciples by the end of his life. Well, Rome finally had enough of this guy, so they made a spectacle of his death. They strung him up, and they took this red-hot iron rake, and they just started slowly raking his skin off. And as they were torturing him, all of a sudden, Akiva shouts out, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Achad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And as he was being tortured, his disciples who were watching asked him, how can you say this when they're torturing you? And he turned to them and said, my whole life, I've had the occasion to love God with all my heart and with all my might, all my money. He said, now I finally have the occasion to love God with all my soul, my life, and he said, as I do it, I laugh. Do you see why throughout the centuries Jews put the Shema on the door frames of their home, why they bind it to their forehead, why they wrap it around their arms, why they say it when they rise, say it when they lie down, our history books tell us that they said it when they were sent to gas chambers. When the Nazi death squads would line them up to be shot, all of a sudden, you'd hear a chorus. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Achad. And what the world got to witness were people who loved God more than their own life. But as good as this is, Akiva is just a man. Think about Christ. 
God in Christ became nefesh. God entered a body. He became a living, breathing creature. Why? Because our atomic existence needs far more than inspiration. It even needs more than forgiveness. Something needs to be done about the disease. We need to be healed. We need a new head to whom we are organically connected, a son of Adam who can do what Adam couldn't do, what we could never do, someone who will enter Adam's shoes into Adam's flesh and refuse to be like Adam and to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might. We need this so that we could then choose to place our entire life in him and root our entire self into him and be organically healed and made new. And this is what Jesus came to the world to do. The gospel is that we have a champion who left heaven, entered our chaos, became nefesh, a living, breathing creature, yet filled with the ruach of God. Jesus didn't just come to this world to inspire us or to forgive us. He came to remake us and think about it for 33 years, step by step, blow by blow, moment by moment. Jesus refused to do anything other than Shema, to love God with everything he had. And then he goes to the cross, and he did it. He wins, not only by living the life that we were supposed to live, but by dying the death that we deserve to die. And his death doesn't end in death. It culminates in a resurrection, in life, in new creation. And you know what Jesus did with his disciples before he ascended? He breathed on them. The Ruach of God. He filled their nefesh with the Ruach of God to fulfill Ezekiel 36 and 37 where God says the day is coming when I'm going to again enter you and I'm going to fill you with my Ruach and you're going to come to life. And then Pentecost happened. Christian, we are not just nefesh. We live and breathe the very breath of God. So we do not live like the animals. So we can become godlike so we can love God with everything that we have. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. God, would you fill these lungs and this life, this nefesh. God, would you fill our lungs and all of our nefesh with your ruach. Heal us.
remake us. Deliver us. Conform us into the image of your son. Or as 2 Peter 2, 1 verse 4 says, God, let we, may we participate in your divine nature. Let's be participants in that. Through your ruach. In Jesus' name.
same team we all have different struggles but the same struggle we're all in the same boat let's not shame each other let's help each other let's point each other to Christ now as we leave this place uh, why don't you take a seat because we gather in to go out now I'm gonna have Aaron Goodrich come up here and uh, talk about Soma. Aaron, good to have you, man. Do you have, you have a microphone? Thanks, Rod. 
So good to be with you guys this morning. My name is Aaron Goodrich, and I'm a part of Soma Grand Rapids Church. And uh, we are all about living on mission. We, we do that in missional communities. And uh, we're all about gospel saturation. And we love our partnership with Crossroads because clearly Crossroads is all about gospel saturation. So much so that they would invite a church plant to come and talk with you about our desire to call some of you on mission. And that is just a beautiful picture of the New Testament church saying, hey, we're all one church. We're all part of the Church of Grand Rapids and we wanna call you together toward gospel saturation. So uh, my wife was introduced earlier. She's actually on staff here at Crossroads. I'm bivocational as a counselor and do all my counseling out of Crossroads. We're just so thankful for the partnership we have with Crossroads. So I wanna know from you this morning, how many of you are members at the Y? How many of you are members at the Y? All right, so you can put your hands down. How many of you just became members at the Y? <laughs> right, New Year's resolutions, not many, okay. You're a little scared to put your hands up, I understand. And, uh, you know, it seems like every year gym memberships go up by like 500%. There's no parking spaces, and you can't even find a treadmill to get on because everyone's committed to their New Year's resolutions, right? But, hey, it's 2020. I believe in you guys. It's going to be different. And the reason I ask about the why is Soma Grand Rapids meets at the downtown David D. Hunting YMCA. And uh, we absolutely love our partnership with the Y because we're all about holistic health. And as a matter of fact, uh, it has been said that the quality of our lives is determined by the health of our relationships. And our vision is uh, to have healthy relationships, to, um, to saturate our city with the gospel. And I love how research points to Jesus, right? We heard all about it this morning. Love God, love others. Life is all about relationships. And our mission within Soma Grand Rapids is to adopt uh, every spiritual orphan into a family and help them grow up into Christ by making disciples who make disciples. And so if, if you are, uh, want, want the quality of your lives to grow in holistic gospel relationships, we would love to talk with you. We believe that God has called us to go, grow, gather, and give. And I think we have a slide uh, that kind of outlines that. Um, yeah, there it is. Awesome. So we go on mission in missional communities, kind of like Jesus did with the 12. We grow together in the gospel in accountability groups. We gather on Sunday mornings to be story formed. And um, that's actually why we're here this morning. We've spent a lot of time really developing our missional communities, uh, really uh, working on our accountability groups, and we're looking to launch Sunday morning gatherings in 2020. We feel like we have healthy missional communities, healthy CPR accountability groups, but we need your help to help us launch these gatherings. Um, we've been meeting on the first and third Sundays, but are looking to go weekly. And uh, if you're at all intrigued or curious about what we're talking about, I would love to talk with you more afterwards. We also are giving generously of our time and resources to advance God's kingdom. So I'm gonna play a short video for you from the Soma family of churches. We're part of a larger family. It gives you a glimpse of how we live out the gospel on mission in the everyday stuff of life. So... Essentially what Rod talked about, Shema, 
this morning, living out the good news of the gospel in the everyday stuff of life. That's what we're about. And uh, I want you to remember that the quality of our lives is determined by the health of our relationships. And we long for people to grow in their relationship with Jesus and in a healthy gospel community. And so if you're interested to hear more, what I would love for you to do, you can see up on the screen, I'd love actually for everyone to get out their phones. I know you're not supposed to have your phones in church, but I'd love everyone to get out their phones and go quickly to somagr.com front slash connect. And uh, I would love for you to, um, to do that. And if you're at all curious, if you're intrigued by what we're doing, you wanna know more, if you just fill out that connection card online, we would love to email you, get, get to know you. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're committing to anything, it just means that you want more information. And so, um, we're also gonna have a meeting right now in the upper room if you're interested to hear a little bit more or if you have any questions, and we'd love to talk with you. And uh, we just are so grateful to be here, to be partnered with Crossroads. So what are we saying? Are we planting another church? No, we're saying this. There's one church in Grand Rapids of which Crossroads is a part. The bigger we get, the harder it is for us to do churches. So we are actually saying we love Soma, what God is doing there. And if you are looking for an ex a smaller expression where people are highly intentional, living out the gospel on mission, go and be a part of it. Let's stand and say Shema together. Repeat after me. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Let's say this with our soul, our nefesh, all of our breath and our being. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Have a great week.